Greetings. This is the first of three messages that I've prepared for the Christmas holidays, and the name of the series is Christmas Poetry. And so what I hope to do is try to spend some time looking at three um, poems or songs or at least formal speeches, um, whether or not they were set to music or not is another question, and, and uh, how poetic they are seems to be evident from the nature of the speech, the use of parallelisms and structure. But anyway, we're going to call them poems, and so Christmas poetry. And the first one is the uh, poem that I'm calling Mary's Song. It's in Luke chapter 1 and starting at verse 46. And then it starts like this. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble, humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent away or sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Father, help us to understand this poem, this, uh, this well-thought-out speech by Mary, this uh, leading of the Spirit in her life. Help us to see what pertains to her and pertains to us and, and how we can uh, rejoice and worship you as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have a few observations. The first thing I would like to explain is the occasion. What is the occasion for this particular song? And uh, many of you probably already know the Christmas story pretty well, but let me just review it to make sure. It's always good to read these words. And so in Luke chapter 1, it tells us that in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, so Elizabeth is the wife of Zechariah, and she is going to be the mother of John, who becomes John the Baptist. And so Elizabeth is in the sixth month of her pregnancy. And God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. 
I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me according to your word. And then the angel left her. So this occasion here is we have Elizabeth, six months pregnant. The angel comes to Mary, and Mary uh, says to the Lord, uh, you know, I am the Lord's servant. Whatever you want to do with my life is up to you. May it be to me according to your word. And she, um, you know, the angel just got done saying that no word ever fails. God, no word from God will ever fail. And, and <clears throat> Mary believes him, and, he, and she believes God. And so the rest of the story goes, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. So not far away, um, and right away, so within days, um, then when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, so when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So John the Baptist, being six months um, from his conception, he leaps in the womb at the sound of Mary's voice. And so already Mary is, uh, you know, conceived in her womb, the baby Jesus. <clears throat> and so Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, to Mary, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And so Elizabeth blesses Mary and blesses her because she trusted God. She believed what God would do and that he would keep his promise. So that's the occasion for this particular song. So at this moment, you know, Mary's had a whole two or three days, maybe, to get ready for this event. And Elizabeth has been keeping her pregnancy kind of secret because she was an older woman and it was barren. And the whole story, we'll, we'll get more into that uh, next time when we talk about Zachariah's song, after John the Baptist is born. And so this occasion is pretty exciting. And so Mary just kind of burst out with this song that we have. Before we study the actual words of Mary's song, though, I, the second point of my message today is that I wanted to talk about the scriptural background. There are, there are passages in the Bible that use a lot of the same things that Mary said. And so Mary was a student of the Bible, and she understood God's plan. She understood the facts of life. She was a young girl, but she was not naive or foolish, and she understood, <clears throat> excuse me, she understood what was happening in God's greater plan, and so she had a spiritual background. And so from uh, these scriptures, I think she was informed before she said her song. So let me read some of those. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, this is when Hannah um, had gone and prayed to God for a child because Hannah, remember Hannah's husband, Elkanah, had two wives, and, and Hannah was barren and had no children, and so she had no prosperity or future. And the rival wife had lots of kids, and, um, and so Hannah prayed to God, and God finally gave her a child. And so she thanked God, and she prayed, and she says in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. So this phrase, my heart rejoices in the Lord, you can hear the echo of that when Mary sings her song. 
And then uh, later in First Samuel two, um, chapter two, uh, he uh, Hannah continues her song in verse five: "Those who were full hired themselves out for food, but those who were hungry are hungry no more." And so Hannah brings up these reversals: that those who were full, they're so starving that they're willing to work just for food, but those who were once hungry now are hungry no more. And so, one of the themes of Hannah's song is the reversal of the high and the low. The high ones, the ones who exalt themselves, the bullies, the bosses, as it were, the arrogant ones are brought low, and rightly so, because it's wrong to be arrogant and defy God. And then in reverse, the those who are humble and weak and, and trust God are exalted. And so God, uh, he humbles the exalted, he humbles the proud, but he gives grace to the humble and exalts the humble. The way to receive God's blessing, first and foremost, is to be humble, not to think that you don't need it. You know, one of the most important things we come to God with is a great sense of our need, and that humility is what God rewards and reverses. So these are aspects of her song. She goes on, she says, She who was barren, referring to herself, has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. And so, in, figuratively at least, um, you know, Hannah has many children in her heart already because she has one. And, and so the one who was barren, the one who was destitute, the one who looked like God would not bless, she is fully blessed. But the one who it looked like was being blessed on the outside, on the inside, she pines away and she deteriorates. There's not any joy for her in the long run. And so the rival wife in Hannah's case. And again, in the general case, God is exalting the humble and bringing down the proud. Um, then, in a little farther down, she says, uh, Hannah says, He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. That's a pretty strong phrase right there. The ash heap is the junkyard. It's the it's the pit outside the city where all the refuse is thrown and and the garbage piles up, and so they light it on fire, and it becomes ashes. And so the poor who are so poor that they have to scrounge around the junkyard and the garbage dump in order to get food, that's the ones that he he lifts up. He lifts up the needy from the ash heap. And I want you to not miss the fact that that the uh, when Jesus talks about hell, he talks about Gehenna, Gehenna being the ash heap, the place where the fire no goes no never goes out. And so... In a way, Hannah is saying here that he raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the pit of hell, from the edge of hell, from the ash heap. And so that's a pretty clear and strong reference. And he seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. I just can't hardly wait to tell you about how we get to be seated with the King Jesus. We are brothers with the Prince of Heaven, the King of Heaven, and he has given us an inheritance, a throne of honor. So Hannah is singing that kind of song. Then in Psalm 113, the psalmist picks it up, the similar kind of phrases again, and look at how the psalmist says it in Psalm 113, verse 7 through 9, he raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap, just exactly like Hannah said. He seats them with princes, with the princes of his people, again, very similar to Hannah. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise Yahweh. And so Psalm 113 picks up the same theme. 
So this is the scriptural background behind the words that Mary gives in her song. And so while she, uh, it's a unique composition of her own, um, it does borrow from these images and this idea of reversals from the other texts that I've shared, from 1 Samuel, about Hannah, and Psalm 113. So the first thing I wanted to point out about Mary's song itself, so this is the third point of our message. We've talked about the occasion for the song. We've talked about the scriptural background. And now the third point is, I want you to notice that Mary is praising God for her personal blessings, for her personal blessings. She receives blessings herself as a person. And so let's look at that. In her song, she says, My soul glorifies the Lord. Again, very similar to Hannah. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. So the first personal blessing I see here is that Mary recognizes that God has been mindful of her, of the humble state of her servant, of, of his servant. So there's there's... The word mindful here means the idea of paying attention to or being concerned with, looking at, paying a, intimately aware of, detailed, studying. It's not just, oh yeah, I heard about that before. It's not that kind of general reference. It's a specific reference. It's God is mindful of us. And he, so he not only is mindful of us, of Mary, um, she's singing, not only mindful of her as a person, but he also was mindful of the fact that she was in a humble state. So we don't know all of the details of Mary's life, but she was a poor person. And Nazareth was a poor town. It was a, a, a low place to live, and it was not a, a prosperous place. And there were many difficulties. Who knows what kinds of other adversities she had. And so she might have been very discouraged by her outward circumstances, or at least she had reason to be. And so in the same way that Mary is rejoicing that God is mindful of her, I want you to realize that God is mindful of you too. And he's aware of your humble situation, no matter how small you feel, no matter how insignificant your life or how uh, meaningless it feels like your work is or your, your relationships seem to go nowhere, that God is mindful of you, that he is aware of you. He's, he's intimately aware. He's paying attention. He's concerned about it. And he's mindful of the humble state that you and I are in. So that's the first personal blessing is that he's mindful of us. And then she says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And that's a pretty unique thing for Mary. You know, we aren't going to be called blessed necessarily, but she is certainly to be, you know, she's a famous lady. She was the one that all, you know, many, many throughout history, many women were hoping that maybe their child would be the one that was promised, the the son, the seed of the woman, the, the child that would be born, who would crush the serpent's head. And so every, you know, every Jewish mother probably said, is this the one? Is this the one? Especially if you were in the line of David, as Mary was, you would have these hopes and expectations. And so she says, now all generations are coming blessed. But then look at the blessing for her. She says, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. So Mary is rejoicing because God has done a great thing for her. He did a great thing for her. I mean, it's a pretty amazing thing. He, he formed in her body, in the pre-existing materials of her body, he caused the, you know, the Holy Spirit hovered over Mary's body in the same way that the Holy Spirit hovered over the earth in the, in the, you know, 
before it was when it was formless and empty and darkness was over the face of the water and the spirit of god was hovering over the waters and then god said let there be light and in the same almost bird-like hovering the spirit hovers over overshadows mary and and without her even being aware of it he creates in her inside her um in her womb the out of the pre-existing materials the lord jesus begins his human nature his human life and so the mighty one has done great things for her. And that's certainly true. But I don't want you to forget that you and I have great blessings as well. And so God has done great things for us. And God is mindful of us. So those two things are true for us too. God does care about you. He is paying attention to you. And he has done great things for you too. There have been occasions in your life where God has rescued you from death or or he brought about your own miraculous birth. He formed you as a person and he revealed himself to you. Or he is revealing himself to you and he pursues you. And he has done great things for you. And you can't miss the fact that the greatest thing that God ever did for you, if you really want to talk about it, the greatest thing that God ever did, Jesus himself did. Jesus himself, he chose to die on the cross and bear our punishment so we would not have to. And then he rose from the dead. He did that for us so that we could be with him. There was no other reason he would do it. He only died on the cross so that we could be um, rescued, so that God could be just and he could justify us who put faith in Jesus. So God has done great things for us. We are saved by the great things that God has done. So we can rejoice just like Mary can. We don't have that particular miracle that Jesus or that Mary had about the baby Jesus, but we've got a miracle that's just as big or bigger, and that that same Jesus who was was given to Mary is is the same Jesus who died for Mary to save her soul, and He's the same Jesus who dies for us to save our soul, and so God has done great things for us. All right. The fourth part of the message then is the corporate blessings. I don't like the word corporate because it sounds like we're talking about a business or something. But it's still the right word because it represents more than just me as a person. It's it's our blessings as a body. It's our blessings as a community. It's our group blessings. What what we all are blessed by. It is amazing that God is mindful of us and we've already discussed that. He knows me individually, but he also has called us into a community. And God is building for himself a body of believers. We are, it is we as the church, as a collective body, who are the bride of Christ. Together we are the bride of Christ. And so there are corporate blessings. There are blessings on us as a group. And so uh, Mary, she uh, mentioned the two blessings that were for her, but now she mentions, uh, and she says like eight or nine, but I'm, I kind of summarize them into seven blessings. Let's look at the corporate blessings that Mary talks about in her in her song. The first one is his mercy extends to those who fear him. And so the uh, first blessing is that God is merciful. You see, if we received what we deserved for our works, we would be consumed. But God has mercy on us. You see, uh, justice would demand that I would be punished for my sins. But God cannot, <clears throat> excuse me, God cannot be unjust, and so justice would demand my punishment. But God can be merciful. And how can he be merciful? By punishing my sin in a substitute. 
And so God retains his justice by punishing my sin in the life and person of the Lord Jesus. And Jesus receives my punishment willingly. And so he he makes it so that his father is just, but then he extends mercy to me and gives me permission to believe in him and invites me to believe in him and benefit from his act of mercy. So for a person who's lost and goes to hell, they receive justice. And for a person who's saved and goes to heaven, it's not that we receive non-justice, it's that we receive justice, but that justice is applied to Jesus and we get mercy and our sins are forgiven. God gives us the mercy that we need in order to believe in Jesus and benefit from Jesus's work. And so Mary sings the song, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Those who care about God, those who pay attention to what God says, those who see the world through God's eyes, those who are wise, who fear him, who, who pay attention, whose greatest treasure is, is him, who, who care what he thinks, who start with God and end with God and God in the middle. Those are the ones who fear him and God gives mercy to them. So that's a really cool blessing that we receive as a corporate group. All of us have received the mercy of God. And then she goes on. Uh, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thing, uh, their inmost thoughts. And so the next blessing I see here for us as corporate is that he has performed mighty deeds. Remember, he did mighty deeds for her. He did mighty deeds for Mary. He, he did an amazing thing. But God does mighty things for all of us with his arm. He has purchased for us salvation. And he has um, you know, given us a new life in Christ and has, who has risen from the dead for us. So that's a very major, a very major blessing. And then look at this other blessing. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. And so somehow it's a blessing to us and it's okay to rejoice that those who raise themselves up against Jesus and say, he's so foolish, I don't need him. Who would ever talk about such a foolish thing as a cross or, or how unnecessary it is to die on a cross? And oh, I'm way too more sophisticated than that. And anybody who would elevate themselves as I don't need a savior, I'm good enough, I'm better than the next guy. That kind of pride, that kind of uh, disdainful um obstinate pride that who just rejects God left and right over and over, those enemies of Jesus. It's a blessing to us as his body that God has scattered those who are proud. Those who are the bullies, those who are the enemies of Jesus will be scattered. They won't, they'll be like chaff that the wind blows away, as it says in Psalm 1. There's encouragement for us that the enemies of Jesus will not prevail. And most significantly, the enemy of our soul, that that devil himself who wants to destroy us, the one who with pride elevated himself and said, I'll be like the most high, the one who lies and tries to destroy us, the proud one. Pride is his game and lies are his methodology. That evil one, he is scattered. And so Jesus will conquer. Jesus does crush the serpent's head and it's a blessing to us. And it's interesting to notice that They're proud in their inmost thoughts. Even if it's not manifest on the outside, God knows when they're thinking, I don't need Jesus. How stupid is that? How silly is this cross business? It's foolishness. It's foolishness. 
It's weakness. It's weakness, the world says. But we know from the Bible that the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men, and the weakness of God is stronger than the strength of men. And so he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Another blessing that I see, and this is in verse 52, Mary says, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. And so again, he's brought down these rulers. He, he scatters the proud and brings down the rulers. It's really the same idea, right? But now he lifts up the humble. Those who really have nothing to offer, those who say, would, would God ever notice me? I'm so insignificant. Like David would write in the psalm, what is man that you're mindful of him, that you would even, the son of man, you would even think about him. You made us so, so small in this great big universe. And yet God does. And he loves to lift up the humble. There's something about him getting the glory when he gives it to someone who cannot save themselves. <clears throat> and so he lifts up the humble. And then look at this one. In verse 53, Mary says, he has filled the hungry with good things. How many times do our souls hunger and thirst for things of God and we feel like we're not satisfied? And Jesus even says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And here Mary is singing that he fills the hungry with good things. Oh, I'm so hungry. I don't have enough. I wonder if Mary herself was hungry as a little girl many times in her poverty. And yet God was sufficient for her. His bread was sufficient for her. And and he filled her with good things. And God gives us, we'll be satisfied, Jesus says in Psalm 22, as with the richest of foods. We will be taken care of. I'll be okay. And so um, God gives the hungry good things. He fills us up. And he has sent away the rich empty. Again, that whole idea of punishing the, the uh, proud and arrogant ones. And then in verse 54, she says, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. Again, he extended his mercy. We've already got that. But now we see him helping his servant Israel. And so God is, is helping Israel and has helped Israel up to Mary's life point to survive the onslaught of enemies of Egypt and Rome and Phoenicia and all the empires that tried to destroy the Jews and you know, Hanukkah that is celebrated this time of year is a celebration of a revolt that occurred against the terrible uh, um, scourge of the Jews, uh, 163 B.C. <clears throat> in the Maccabean Revolt and, and how there was just so many oppressions on the Jews. And it was a capital crime to observe the Sabbath or to contain the scriptures or to practice circumcision. If you did any of those things as a Jew, you were guilty of a, sin, of a crime, according to the state, that he was worthy of death. They were so oppressed by these terrible uh, leaders of Rome, and, and, and <clears throat> God was helping his servant Israel get through over and over. In spite of Israel's rebellion, God helped them through, and so God helps his servant. And in many ways, you can say that God helps his church today, uh, as we understand the ways of the Bible, that Israel has been set aside for a time. They still exist as a national group, and I believe that God has a plan for them in the future. And the promises made to Abraham, Abraham will be fulfilled. But in the meantime, in this church age, we are, we are his representatives, and God helps his servant, the church. 
and he remembers to be merciful to us and to Abraham and his descendants. And finally, just as he promised to his ancestors. So as he promised to Mary's ancestors to be good to them, to be merciful, God has promised to us that he will be good and merciful. And we are Abraham's descendants because we participate in the faith of Abraham. And so the promises for him are for us as well. And so just as he promised, God keeps his promise. So again, if we're going to review these, um, I've summarized them as seven blessings that we get. We get mercy extended to those who fear him. We have him perform his mighty deeds in our life, the resurrection, the uh, power to uh, witness in our world, the Holy Spirit in our lives. He um, takes care of us. The fact that God is scattering the proud and brings down the rulers who are stand opposed to Jesus over and over in history. They thought they were victorious and yet they were brought down and God will do it over and over and ultimately he will do it and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the king and he's the Lord. And then he lifts up the humble. The Lord Jesus was humble and he'll be lifted to the highest place and us his humble followers will be following along with him. We're just a little church. We're just little insignificant people. And we can hardly do anything but live a quiet life and try to not depend on other people and just follow Jesus. And yet that's exactly what makes Jesus look great, is that we are following and trusting him even though we have no strength of our own. He fills us. He fills the hungry with good things. He even fills us with righteousness. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled, Jesus says. And he helps his servant Israel. He helps his servant the church. He helps the servant, the, the, his bride in this world. And Jesus keeps his promises. So these are the blessings that Mary mentions in her song. And they're the same blessings that you and I can sing and rejoice about as well. And so we've studied now the occasion of this song, the scriptural background, you know, the song of Hannah and Psalm 113. We saw Mary's personal blessings, that God is mindful of her and that he has done great things for her and those apply to us. And then all the corporate blessings that she she prayed or she sang in her song, those are for us too. But I don't want to miss kind of a key pivotal phrase right between the end of her personal blessings and the beginning of her corporate blessings. She makes an interesting and beautiful statement. Holy is his name. And so that's the last point of our message today is holy is his name. Let me go back to that again in verse 48 and 49. Mary says, From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Pause. Holy is his name. Holy is his name. Why would God do all these things? Why would he pay so much attention to Mary? Why would he pay so much attention to you and I? Why would he bless us? Why would he take care of us as body and take care of silly old Israel and perform mighty deeds? Why would he, would he, why would he bring down proud rulers and elevate the humble? Why would he do all those things? Because he is God and his name is holy. Holy, holy is perfect and powerful, but holy also means other. Jesus Jesus is holy, God is holy, but they participate in an other kind of reality. They are uncreated. The Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have existed forever and ever, and nothing ever created them. They've always existed, and they belong in their own, their own reality, and they have created all of us 
out of their own will as three persons in the Trinity, and, and God is that one essence, has in himself total, complete perfection, timelessness, and purity, and simplicity in the sense that he's not made up of parts. He's not part man and part God and, and part Holy Spirit and part love and part holy and part just. God is 100% holy and 100% just and 100% love and 100% the Holy Spirit, 100% God and 100% the Lord Jesus. They're, they're, he's a simple, perfectly infinite being and he gives and gives and gives but he never dissipates. He never gets smaller by his giving. His giving is only for his own joy and pleasure, and it never makes him smaller. And so I've often thought, how can it be that God would, this infinite being, this incredibly powerful, but why would he pay so much attention to me? Why would he make me in the first place? Why would he give me life? And why would he give me such an interestingly humble life. My life is just ordinary. It's full of ordinary activities that don't seem to go anywhere. Why would he be so involved in such a crass, silly thing as my, my, the dust that I live in and the ash heap that I'm away? He lifts us up from the ash heap. He lifts us up from the, something about his character is he loves to love us. And he just does. And we won't believe it because we are so small. I struggle to believe that. And I've come to believe more and more that my duty as a pastor and my, my duty as a follower of Jesus is to preach to myself the truth of how much Jesus loves me. It's really true. He does care about me that much. And I need you to understand how much Jesus loves you. It's not It's not that you've obligated him. It's not like... it's. It would be one thing if, if God loved us so much because he, he was persuaded that he should. But that's not the reason he does. He loves us because he loves us. We did not persuade him that he should. There is no obligation. And so his love is even greater because it's completely by grace. <clears throat> you see, only a God who can give without dissipating, who can love without running out of love, only that kind of God can be a God who gives by grace. It is totally undeserved. And, and Paul would speculate and say, you know, the reason God did this, why he's so kind to us, and even bears with patience the, the enemies of himself and the objects of his wrath, he does, he even bears with patience the, his enemies to demonstrate to us how rich and incredibly bountiful his love is for us. You see, Jesus wants us to know how much he loves us. I don't know why he would. He just does. And I need us to understand it. Holy is his name. He's from another category. He, I and Mary, Mary had an amazing thing happen to her. She was incredibly blessed. It was a miracle in her body. But Mary and I have way, way, way more in common as two human beings. We both need Jesus. We both need a Savior. We have way more in common than either of us have in common with Jesus. And yet Jesus has emptied himself of his divine attributes, his independent use of his divine attributes, and he became a human being to take on our humanity, to enter into our world, to, to live a perfect life, to be the new Adam who, who conquers Satan, 
to die on the cross and pay for our sins and to raise from the dead and be ascended into heaven and to prepare a place for us as his bride. Jesus does all that because he's from a different category. He is holy and his name is great and he has done this for us. You and I are blessed as much as more than Mary. Our soul should glory in our Savior, just like Mary's did. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the blessings that you've given us through your Son, the Lord Jesus. Jesus, help me understand how much you love me. Help all of us, I pray, that we would comprehend how, how great your love for us is. It changes everything, and we live for you in your name. Amen.